fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Barlow. And um, <laughs> joining me today is our guest, Barlow. He'll be filling in for our regular co-host, Kim. Barlow, uh, please introduce yourself again. <laughs> I'm Barlow. Thank you. Uh, I'm ancient. <laughs> Listen to my decrepit voice. Yes, of course. Today we're really going to get into the actor's pain. I want to hear it all. Let's. So we're, I we're... like cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, I, I. When, when, of course, did you see cinema? As a child, I would assume. Nineteen ninety-four. Of course, almost twenty years after the movie I starred in. <laughs> Several, roughly a hundred years after the birth of cinema, which I was there for. I was napping. On this week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street, home is where the horror is. We're going to be talking about two Stephen King classics, two miniseries of the King himself. I hope you're ready for it. It's a lot. One that we've watched a thousand times. Woo! Yeah, and one that we saw for the first fucking time. Blew my mind. I don't know about yours. I'm in it. (laughs) Thank you, Barlow. Before we talk about these movies, though, Mr. Barlow, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, my human counterpart, Kim, who is now going to give up the act. uh, Did you say that we're talking about It 1990 and we're talking about Salem's Lot from 1979? Nope. Well, we're talking about those today, right now. After I tell you what's keeping me creepy. What is keeping me creepy? Well, in a complete correction and a post-dated omission from last week's mini-sode, I said I didn't want to see Ready or Not in theaters, and I'm a fucking liar. Because we saw it in theaters, and I totally enjoyed it, and also, I don't know if you've seen Twitter, but (laughs) things have occurred since then. (laughs) Um, First of all, Ready or Not was great fun. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it in theaters. Uh, our senior contributor, Grant, was the one that did the review for the website, and he had a blast with it, and he loved it, and I edited the review, and then I was like, fuck, fine, I have to go see this movie, it sounds dope, and it was a total fun time. John, did you like it? I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it completely took me by surprise in that I, 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 I had a feeling it was going to be good, I didn't think I was going to love it, I thought it was a hell of a lot of fun for a summer horror movie. Yeah, and it's got some fun, surprising angles that weren't necessarily in the trailer. And even though it is still kind of very much like the trailer, the team definitely had a lot of fun playing in that environment that they made. And um, all of the kills and the gross-outs and the injuries and stuff are, are such a fun just blast for horror fans. They really get kind of what that audience is after. And it was great to see in the theater. So uh, I'm totally changing my tone on this movie. 
Uh, last week I was like, eh, on it, but I'm really glad that I saw it in a theater. Also, you know, I gotta practice what I preach. I always say to go see and support original horror. And this is one of those movies. This is a Fox Searchlight picture. Um, I think the budget was like $5 million or something. So kudos to them. They made a great movie. It's a fun blast. Also, uh, a weird event happened. Uh, this is what I was talking about with my Twitter. Uh, after we got out of the movie, I was like, that looks really familiar. It looks like that house that's in Oshawa. And we were driving home from the theater and I was like, I think it is that house in Oshawa. And then I remembered that that's also where my parents got married. <laughs> so I whipped through one of the old wedding albums and I found the exact spot from the movie <laughs> and there were my parents standing there uh, getting married. So uh, if you want to see- all in white, both of them. I know, like my Satanists dad with his do. tux. Oh, it was so great. Um, yeah, my dad had a white tux. It was, and his full head of hair. Uh, somebody tweeted at me and was like, your dad looks like Toby Hooper. <laughs> he kind of does in those photos. <laughs> it was the best compliment ever. If we had a photo of your dad with like a big stogie. 100% Hooper. <laughs> but yeah, so if you want to see uh, my parents' wedding and uh, <laughs> uh, the same set as Ready or Not, that is on Twitter uh, right now. But holy crap, what an odd coincidence because it is I like literally side by side the exact same spot. It's, it's nuts. crazy. It's insane. What an odd friggin' coincidence. And for a movie with a wedding too. Like it could have been any movie because they film stuff there all the time actually. Yeah, like they filmed... Um, What's that Adam Sandler movie? Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one they filmed a lot knows. of things there. TV shows and... Lots of prom stuff. Like anytime a, a Canadian television show shot in Toronto has a prom, it's usually there. Or a rich person with like an expansive lawn. Because <laughs> there's a really great fountain out front. Yeah. I'm sure you saw it and ready or not. Also, if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have, because if you're listening to this podcast, clearly you're a horror nut, which means you're on top of, you got your finger on the pulse, you know, all the horror beat. What am I saying? <laughs> uh, if you haven't heard, Anthony Michael Hall was cast as Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills, and maybe Halloween ends? That'd be kind of a spoiler. he's not killed in <laughs> That'd be such a spoiler. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> he's cast in Halloween Kills, not Halloween ends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have a feeling I know how that one's going to end. Yeah, and I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast in one of our previous uh, like news ditties, but John Carpenter also put his hand up for scoring both of the films. So <laughs> we're going to have that Carpenter tone I'm down. for both movies, which is exciting. And, you know, I don't know if they could have done the 2020 threequel without him because the first film had that one of the most wonderful Halloween scores in a very long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, it yeah. is it is lovely. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the first person to talk about how great that, that the Shape Stocks track is, where it's basically just the, the purge horn going off in the background of the Halloween theme. Fuck, that's good. Some other fun news. We have been working on updating our plans for live streams for our Patreon squad. We are building a Twitch page. So we're going to be doing some fun live stream gaming, um, and we're going to invite our patrons to play along. We are on PS4. We also are going to pick up some games for PC so we can play that way. I will preface this by saying... We are not gamers. 
We are terrible and you guys are going to win. I think that's the reason <laughs> to come. I think you would enjoy that. <laughs> like watching us lose, watching us lose our minds. Oh, and also like I'm a huge wuss for anything that's like first person and I consider all gaming first person. <laughs> yeah, so look forward to seeing me play a game and Kim comment on it as, as though her life is on the line. <laughs> Backseat drive! <laughs> no, what I was trying to say is that we do have a very, we've been talking about it forever, so you may already know, but we got a big long like East Coast road trip coming up and like we're bringing that PlayStation with us. Um... So don't rob us if you see us. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Wi-Fi might be a little dodgy. So it maybe we should have waited until we got back home. But we're going to give it a shot anyway. Yeah, we're going to try our darn best. Also because, yeah, we've been wanting to do the live streams again for Patreon supporters. It's a great way for us to, like, hang out and interact and chat with you guys. So we're going to be doing that while gaming. And I think that'll be a great fun. Uh, we're going to start with the Friday the 13th, the game. So oh, yeah. if you are into that, it is a blast. Um, we're going to be playing, we're going to set up like a room or something and all of us will play. And I think the Blair Witch game comes out soon too. So we're going to fucking try that and that's going to be not scary at all. Um, but if you want to join us and of course support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. We have a ton of sweet rewards in exchange for supporting the show. And all of the money that we make via Patreon gets fed back into Nightmare on Film Street. It's how we uh, pay for our hosting and our bandwidth and our website and all of the expenses that go with running a horror outlet, our uh, festival coverage and merchandise and giveaways and all that stuff. So none of that would be possible without our Patreon supporters. So thank you if you are a supporter and thank you if you are considering, even if you just check out the page. Um, it means so much to us because... John and I have put so much love, sweat, and tears into Nightmare on Film Street. And Mostly we... tears. <laughs> and screams. And we could not do it without our Patreon supporters. And like a big thank you to anybody out there who cannot afford to support the show. I get it. I understand. Just sharing it with your friends. Tweeting about it. Yeah, just, just spreading the word. Helping us grow the horde. It does more than you can possibly imagine. So thank you, each and every person who is listening to this podcast. Uh, even the ones that don't do anything. Who cares? You, you came. You're having a good time. We love you, freeloader. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go, yes, of course, if you know, have, if you happen to know any McDonald's with like a really amazing Rockin Wi-Fi Rockin' Wi-Fi connection. Oh, yeah, like 50 feet out in the parking lot, I'm getting a gigabyte download, 500 megabyte upload. I want to know about it. Let me know. <laughs> Drop a pin on a map. <laughs> Uh, but we have gone on long enough. I don't know how much news we got to, but it is time Very to... Very little. It is time to close out Stephen King Month with some serious motherfucking serieses. Let's MRF and do it. Let's MRF and do it. Let's talk about Tim Curry, the original Pennywise the Clown, and Tommy Lee Wallace's It. It's weird. It's like <laughs> such a long <laughs> run in. Like, you get such a big runway for like the shortest plane ride. Like, It. <laughs> You're done. Credit, credit, credit. So scared. It. Although produced for television, It is based on subject material that may be unsuitable for and unsettling to younger and impressionable viewers. Parental guidance and viewer discretion is recommended. Tuesday night. It's 30 years later. And right on schedule, the killings start up again. Six so far, maybe more. It's back and it's mad. Take your pick, Bert. Billy boy. Something bad's going to happen to one of us. Get out of Derry while you still can. I'm going back in. 
This time I'm gonna kill it. Something's coming. The thrilling conclusion of Stephen King's It, Tuesday night. Okay, so, It, from 1990, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, is currently sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Ouch. Uh, 8.5 out of 10 on TV.com, and 3.1 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Hmm. 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 This is it, guys. We're finally talking about this movie. I am not looking forward to it. Oh. Because I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah. I am worried that everything that I have to say about it's already been said, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna know where to begin. Well, let's start with our own personal experiences with Pennywise the Clown. Okay. Uh. How about we start with yours? Thank I you. Don't really have uh, one. <laughs> I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. This was a movie that uh, one of the few horror movies that my family owned. It was basically just this in Silence of the Lambs. Not bad. And growing up, the case always like I always gravitated towards it. It was this. I'm sure you all had it. It was a double VHS case. It was white. It was in red letters, and then in the top corner on the front of the case. Um, Tim Curry as Pennywise was like peeling back the case like he was coming out of the video case and like with weird monster fingers that he doesn't really ever have in the movie yeah it always like it I don't know as a kid it was very mesmerizing to me I didn't even know what horror movies were I don't think when when I was like looking at this case and then at some point I don't know if my siblings put it on or what I don't think I made it past Georgie's death Okay. Um, and I had nightmares. Like I was terrified of Pennywise. Probably until I was like way too old to be terrified of Pennywise. Um, he was the thing like at the end of my bed, kind of thing. Like That's that was funny. the monster that I believed in. Like he was the monster that was living under my bed. He was the reason why I had to tuck my feet in at night, or why like I had to set up all my stuffed animals along my bed to guard me. Um, because surely. Stuffed animals versus monsters. Well, yeah, because surely he would eat through each of them before he got to you, <laughs> and he might get full by the time he got to you. Um, yeah, it, I don't know what it was about. Maybe it was the voice. I, I, I didn't have a particular fear of clowns. I did hate anything in costume. Like, I never did those um, character photos with, you know, the things in the big giant outfits. I was terrified of Santa. I you never, mean like a Disney and stuff? Yeah, I never liked sitting on Santa's lap. I, I would cry. I, <laughs> I thought my parents making me go sit on Santa's lap was like complete torture. I thought it was like cruel and unusual punishment because I, I, I don't want to hang out with strangers. I don't want to be forced to do things like that. And, yeah. And so I, like, I don't like your friends. Why am I going <laughs> to like some guy I, none of us know? Yeah, so it... Uh, Maybe it stemmed from that, but either way, it was terrifying. It was a while before I had the courage to watch it for real, and now I love it. I think it's this fun, nostalgic, 90s, classic, like, this is my Stand By Me. This is my coming of age You can do a lot worse, yeah. You hate nostalgia, and I just don't understand. Yeah, so You made me watch Mask of the Phantasm. I think it's a genuinely good movie. (laughs) And uh, I'm so I hate to say this at the Your end. Posture change. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got in defense stance. 
Hang on a minute. Well, yeah, like I, I uh, on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, but I do remember at the end of that movie. You said, "Hey, gotta admit, for a Batman movie, that was pretty good." No, I said it was pretty spooky. That's fine. That's that's a, the greatest of compliments from you. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I don't really have a deep personal connection with it. I had heard Georgie's death a bunch as a kid. Because my dad liked it. I was really interested in the cover of the book. And he would tell me that scene all the time. Mm. He would tell me about the turtle. Like, he, he kind of like, I, I get the impression that he wanted to tell me the story of it. Because he would occasionally adapt these Stephen King stories as bedtime stories. I've told this on the podcast before. But I think my, my only concrete memories are the Georgie scene, which is the beginning, and then him trying to explain, well, he's, he's kind of like a turtle, to, to be honest. I mean, like, he's like a big floating turtle, and, but like, no one sees him as a turtle, like you see him as a, as a clown. So I think he got hung up in trying to explain what Pennywise was, and then it was like, nah, it's your bedtime, I gotta go. <laughs> like, I, that's how I assume it went down. Like, he gave me the opening scene, and then I asked a question, he's like, well, no, not technically, he's not really a clown, and that just snowballed into like this big long tangent and then it started being like dad tell me the evil turtle story yeah and then oh, like, okay. well he's not really a turtle like every yeah. night would start with i this. should never have said that <laughs> <laughs> uh so did you read the story growing up or- no no okay nope still haven't read the book tried listening to have listened to 35 of the 40 hours of the audiobook yeah, we listened to a good chunk of it. Yeah, still haven't committed to the last of it. Uh, oh, well. Um, I don't really remember when I first saw the movie. I was probably around the same age you were, maybe. I don't know. Somewhere around like eight, nine. I don't know. Loved it. Thought it was great. Uh, yeah, had that double VHS. And for some reason, the copy we have now... Is a single single, VHS tape. Yeah, and And it rewinds really fast. Well, that's because it's like the shittest quality ever. Like you got like the EP, SP, whatever. We have like the butt P. Okay. Whatever the the worst option is. Butt P. I'm going to argue though, our screen is 12 inches generously. Maybe. Maybe. Generously 12 inches. It's fine. It is in maximum definition. There are so many pixels that can't even fit on that screen. It's wonderful. If we were, if we watched that on any TV larger than that 12 inch television, then yes, this would be a problem. But it did not matter. It looked wonderful. It looked great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm sure, like everybody listening, we've seen it a thousand times now. It didn't matter. Didn't matter. We could record this podcast right now without having rewatched the movie. I guarantee it. Well, we did learn a thing this time. Okay. Very true. It was important that we rewatch the movie for exactly. the podcast. Oh, well, the thing we learned. This is, this is, <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna, this is part two, John. You can't lean into it. I'm this sorry. This is movie two. Movie two facts. We here. see the adults at the beginning of part one. Oh, I guess that's true. Audra, Ben's, Be- Beverly, sorry, Audra, Bill's Beverly replace, re- Bill's Beverly replacement is played by the lead from Black Christmas. That's right. It's Olivia Hussey. How did I never know that? I didn't notice either. Yeah. And a thousand percent it's her. She looks exactly the same. As soon as I was like, is that the girl from Black Christmas? We both were just full of clarity. It made complete sense. (laughs) Yeah, everything fit together now. My life is different. Changed. 
How much of this podcast do you want to dedicate to talking about adult Bill's hair? Because, <laughs> oh, if that, uh, was, if that was all we talked about. It's the real horror story in this. <laughs> that, that was a fashion decision people made back then. Loose ponytail. And he Loose tied it ponytail. with like a piece of leather. It wasn't even a Ugh. hair tie. It had a knot and like fray strings. You know what that tells you? He really wanted that ponytail. I it, felt like he was going to attack Pennywise with a samurai sword. That he was collecting and that was not supposed to be used, but this was a special occasion. Damn. Oh, man. (laughs) What a bad look. What a bad, bad look. Now, here's the thing. Do you think he always had that ponytail? Or do you think he got it when that character made the transition to writing screenplays in Hollywood? Okay. Do you think that's his Hollywood hairdo? Oh, right. So he was an author and then it was like, was like, Bill, we're going to adapt the shinning. What was it? The 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 smile. This is that what, the glowing. The glowing. The glowing. We're gonna adapt the glowing into a um, 1980 film. You're gonna hate. Okay, well I don't <laughs> own any uh, any turtlenecks or any white blazers, but I can start growing my hair. I will have. Perfect. That. You're not invited on set. <laughs> <laughs> Stay home. Oh man. So correct me if I'm wrong. That movie is in production. His wife is starring in it, and he's still writing it. Is he? I think so. Uh, to be honest, I don't really pay a whole ton of attention to the setup because it's like Mike is the librarian. This is in 1990. This he is let in- seven kids die before he decided to <laughs> call his kids. friends. Six kids. He basically let the child, the the 1990 version of the Loser Club, Losers Club, die. All of them. Before he calls his old chums, and one by one, we learn that they're all mostly successful. Um, I think they're all wildly successful. Well. You can argue that, but um, isn't one? I can't remember if it's Eddie. Okay, is a limo driver for. He owns that company. Okay, but he lives with his mom still. It's okay. Okay, so they're all. That su- might be my choice. They're but- all <laughs> successful, but empty inside. Exactly. What's Bill got going on? Like, what's his darkness? We see everybody Horror else's. movies. That's his problem. Horror fiction. Because his wife. Doesn't it love looks him? like no, they're great. Like they're they're. I think they mentioned something about there being a distance between the two of them. But maybe they can't have kids. None of them. But maybe they can. can't. Maybe they're trying. I don't know. <laughs> God, let me let me synopsize. So <laughs> Mike calls everybody back. Um, everybody's like, oh, gotta. Get everybody me. has that dead zone moment Cat- where they can finally for a half a minute, <laughs> and then they all pack their bags and make their way to dairy except for um beverly who is stopped briefly by her abusive boyfriend and she uh throws some lotion bottles to get out of that yeah and stan who has a bath before he leaves a very long forever bath bath. (laughs) yeah very sad yeah stan went out to the pasture and now he lives with grandma (laughs) that section in the book (laughs) (laughs) lives with grandma um, with all the other stands, yeah. <laughs> oh man, he's so happy right now. Oh. That scene in the book is uh, like, have not read the whole book, obviously, but um, that that section in particular is so great because it's a hundred percent from his wife's perspective. Now, arguably, that that scene is from his wife's perspective as well. Um, but the descriptions in it are absolutely fantastic where she comes in and things are just like a little weird and out of place and just how she slowly realizes that her husband has killed himself is so haunting and so fucking horrible because just imagine like you're at home knitting doing whatever your husband gets a phone call and decides to go have a bath and the next thing you know he's gone 
that is horrible. Yeah, and it's especially weird too, since um, all of the Losers Club members that have left Derry, their memories are really impaired of their childhood. They don't remember much that went on with um, Pennywise, with the the, mur- the mysterious murders, with anything. So, yeah, there's a shadow over their memories. But it's the same shadow thanks, that hangs John. over Derry now. <laughs> but it isn't until they return to Derry that they start remembering things and having flashbacks. Um, so it's hard to say what Stan remembers. He was the only Losers Club member to kind of have a one-on-one with Pennywise. So it's assumed that he saw the deadlights, I would assume. Yeah, and I think he maybe... He's been haunted. What if he saw his own death? Like, what what do you see in the deadlights? And also, if he saw his own death, I mean, maybe that would, maybe, he maybe wouldn't kill himself. I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, like, what is it that you see? I don't know. Yeah. I got to know. It's like otherworldly thing, I guess. So is Pennywise a portal? Is that what we're getting at? I thought he was a big spider. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking specifically about these deadlights here, right? Like you look into the deadlights, you see the other side or whatever. Does that make him a portal for the afterlife? Is he like a grim reaper? I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe a, a, a better question. High level question. How long has Pennywise been around? Like, how long do you think? Forever. Pe- forever. And now he's dead? No. You can't just kill evil like that. He's not dead. I think he's going to come back. You think so? Yeah. Mm. We're going to have to get to that. Forever and ever. Why? Because they added a little Tim Curry laugh at the end? What? Yeah. Because they kicked the shit out of him. They rip him apart. Something they definitely didn't do. Yeah, in the but they ripped apart a form that he chose to be. Ah, I don't know. I think they're. I think they're supposed to be seeing him in his like true form at the end. So he's a spider. He's like a praying mantis, spider turtle thing. Yeah, he's got the the face of a praying mantis and the 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 hard chest of a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and the... What is with you and the turtle? I I think he's a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're something your dad said at bedtime? <laughs> yeah. Honestly. We all... listened to most of the book. <laughs> Nobody mentioned the turtle. <laughs> There's a fucking section where he's like a big bird or something. <laughs> in uh, Yeah, he's like a pterodactyl in uh. one part in a smokestack. And uh, I think there's another section where he's that, that bird in the, the bar that gets burned down. He's some weird flying thing. Let's talk about this movie. Okay, sure. And yeah, not so Derry any more turtles. So Derry's got a big turtle problem. <laughs> it's living in the sewers. It's snatching up our, all of our kids, and uh, somebody's got to do something about it. So the Losers Club. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see them kind of be, become friends. It's cute. It's adorable. They are all outcasts. Um, they all share one thing in common, and that is. Henry Bowers does not like them. Henry Bowers is such a jerk. He is a big dingus. Yeah. Yeah. And his friends are minor dinguses, but still dinguses. Mm. Dinguses. Dingus. They'd be just normal kids if it wasn't for Henry Bowers. If Henry Bowers one day was just like, hey, you know what, guys? I think we should try and win the spelling bee this year. (laughs) Those guys would be so into the spelling bee. They, They would do whatever Henry Bowers wants. But he's a jerk, so they're jerks too. 
craziest bullies ever, by the way. Like, and you think about, you know, what scared me the most a little bit. Like, I was definitely a fat kid growing up. I didn't want to deal with any bully that was going to carve his fucking name in my stomach. Yeah, he was next level. What scared me the most about that is that I, watching this as a kid, I knew this is the 60s. Bullies these days have got to have sharper knives or something, right? <laughs> the like, bullies these days have the internet. Oh, yeah. They can oh. Pinterest their, their hazings. <laughs> can you imagine going on a Pinterest and see that somebody's created a board? You're like, it, um, fat kid hazes, skinny kid hazes, asthmatic oh, kids, kid hazes. That's not going to, it's not going to get any more sinister than that. Because you just took something that like mums created and you were like, ooh, I'm going to use it for my dark bully purposes. Just a bunch of world star videos and kids getting punched in the face but i will say that henry bowers does not need pennywise to be a murderous adult he is well on that way on his own oh hell yeah yeah that's why nobody was surprised when he he took credit for all the murders and they're like yep yeah it checks sounds out sounds like henry yep. <laughs> fucking henry i guess like I, it doesn't make sense to go through how they all meet it's hard i mean when you think about the structure of this movie it's kind of wild yeah because a lot of it's done in memories and stuff but it all the penultimate losers club moment happens when um mike is running away from henry and having never met the losers club before he stumbles upon them in the riverbed where they hang out and thus starts the iconic rock fight where they defend Mike, who they don't know, against Henry and his cronies by throwing rocks at him. Yeah. And and then Mike is calmly and really nonchalantly welcomed into the Losers Club, which is a club that Henry named them, um, which is really cute and poetic and kind of perfect. But at this point, there's seven people big. They are no longer a Losers Club. There's only three bullies. <laughs> they are big enough to start their own dance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, what a boring dance! It's just <laughs> One a bunch girl. Of, yeah, it's just, it's just like five guys sitting against the wall waiting for Beverly to pick somebody. Like, <laughs> would you like to winter fire dance with me? <laughs> Ben's like twirling his toe like mm, winter fire. I don't know. I'm burn there too. <laughs> yeah, so our ragtag band of misfits are the only people that can see our monster. Um, and it's, it's, obviously the adults aren't going to do anything about it. So it's up to us. We got to stop this thing once and for all. Don't you love though, all of the scenes where the, the adults can't see Pennywise? I think it's great. Um, I don't know why I said it with a tone of voice that was implying I thought it was a stupid choice. I think it's fantastic. Because, so unfortunately, because this is a, a longer film, it's about three hours. We see it enough that... You can kind of gather that they don't see Pennywise. Yeah. But the first time you see it happening is the Beverly bathroom scene. Oh, yeah. When uh, a balloon comes out of the sink and it pops and it's filled with blood. So great. And the sink is this huge massacre. And it's a really great moment because Beverly has this very tumultuous relationship with her father. He's definitely abusive and... Um, they don't really imply sexually abusive in the mo- this movie. Not really. Um, but you know she's walking on eggshells with him, and she screams for him because obviously Pennywise is talking to her through the sewer, which is kind of upsetting. And um, he doesn't see anything, and he gets really mad because she's. Sometimes I worry about you, Beverly. That's pretty good. Uh, Mother- she- <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's, I think he says Bevy. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, but he's got his hands and he's like wringing his hands on the sink. And 
he's getting blood all over his hands and he's getting upset because she's called him up from maybe, I don't know, his sports or whatever. <laughs> and he's getting frustrated. And meanwhile, she's just watching in horror as his hands are in this blood and he cannot see them or he refuses to see it. I think that's mainly what it actually is. And, and yeah, he touches her face. The blood gets on her face. Like, so you know it's there. Like, it's, a, it's definitely there. I always like to see it more that they refuse to see it. Yeah. Like, they've refused to see it for so long that they just don't see it anymore at all. Which I think is is great. Um, I mean, I didn't grow up in the 60s or anything, but, like, when you think about people assuming that the area they live in is safe, it's definitely not. Nowhere is technically safe. There is always going to be some danger around. And there are plenty of scenes, e- even in the movie, um... Definitely also in the book and in the remake as well, where adults are seeing the kids get bullied and they do nothing about it, Mm -hmm. which is a very real life thing. And I guess some of those adults either think like, oh, it's not my place. That's stupid. Um, Or like, oh, it'll it'll make them tough. This is just part of growing up. Also stupid. Or they just refuse to see it as a problem. I think that's part of where it comes from. I think maybe Stephen King had an issue with bullies or something, and it was as though no one around him thought it was a big deal. So it's almost as though it didn't happen. Like these kids are essentially being like they're gaslighted, gaslit by an entire generation. So they know that they're left to their own devices. Like that's, that's why it makes sense that they have to go after Pennywise themselves, because not only are these parents unwilling to believe them or help them, they don't even recognize it as, as a possibility. Yeah. You explained it so well that I can't even argue what I want it to be. In what is it you want it to be? I want it to be that they can see the blood uh, and oh. that there's almost an agreement between um, these adults who have been through Pennywise before. Yeah. Um, they were kids when he would have been in the swing of his 30-year span and that it's almost like um appeasing a god or giving him an offering like mm. every 30 years he takes a handful of people but then he goes away for 30 no, no, years I, th- I think you're right too i think it is a blend of the both of the things we have so i think it's something even darker and that the adults can see the blood know pennywise is back and terrorizing and that they just kind of quietly have their fingers crossed that their kids aren't going to be on the docket and uh isn't that isn't that what parenting is though like you know there's some kid out there who's a latchkey kid who owns a knife that might like cut up your kid what somebody who (laughs) might bring a gun to school somebody who might push your kids off a fucking ravine and they accidentally die but you you tell yourself that it's not going to be your kid it's just going to be somebody else's kid which is like offering them up to the god of just horrible times um but yes i think i think you're right i think there is like a silent psychological subconscious agreement between the adults and pennywise i think that that agreement is most definitely there in our losers club especially the ones that left because they are all wildly successful because they left like they know that they didn't they they know they didn't kill pennywise Mm -hmm. and that's why they they make the pact to come back if if he appears again and the fact that they've all forgotten about it and they don't give it any thought and they have these luxurious lives. Yeah, it's almost like that's a reward they've been given yeah. for forgetting. They're they're being bribed essentially for not coming back. Yeah. 
Which is, why I did, which is why it's also so interesting that Mike Hanlon has such a shitty ride. And I think it's probably because he's never forgotten and never given up. Like, he's always held the torch of, like, we are the fucking Van Helsings of Derry, Maine. Mm-hmm. And, and shit will go down if he comes back. So why make his life easy? In fact, I think Pennywise almost does a better job on him than any of the other kids. Because he admits to Bill that he had a really dark point And he went back to the lair. Like, basically hoping to die. Like, he's, he had this, like, dark night of the soul and just kind of, like, was ready for, like, his rock bottom to fall out and just, like, to go into the abyss. I guess what I'm trying to say is he wanted to die. Um, I don't know why I have to editorialize it so much. Um, but, yeah, like, like, Pennywise almost did a better job with Mike than he did with anybody else. Which is probably um, why they all have such a hard time coming back. I think they they maybe kind of know. Well, I mean, I guess if you're looking down the barrel of a gun, like, hey, if I go back to to fight this like monster, I might die, which is also giving up like this cushy life I have. But like maybe maybe that's that's part of it. It's just like, hey, there's there's been this sort of tacit agreement where like I don't go back, like don't ask, don't tell, uh, and and everything stays the way it is. Mm-hmm. And as as shitty as things kind of are, because like they can't have kids, they're in abusive relationships, they're they're like in a in a rut creatively. Uh, they have no love in their life, wh- whatever their problems are. Things are still better than they maybe would be if if they faced their fears again. Yeah, and I guess too, it's it's interesting that when they go back, they do see they do all see Pennywise, and then they're in that same situation that that everybody else around them doesn't see Pennywise, and they do, mm-hmm. and it's like they they're still kids in Derry, Maine. Like, they're still these kids who have no help from the adults in facing Pennywise. Like, even when they go back, like, it's the lucky seven, as they say all the time, even though it's only six of them at this point. Um, (laughs) It's still them versus Pennywise, like, a one-on-one. Yeah. You think what they could do is go to this town and rally now as adults with these adult All of these voices. other kids who grew up. Well, yeah. They, their peers, the, the, the people that they went to school with, the people they graduated high school with. The only fucking person who, who believes have is kids Henry Bowers. Now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because they could, they, they've got something to fight for. But no, it's all part of the agreement. <laughs> oh, you only made it out to adulthood because I let you. But I guess everybody's got blinders on, so it would, it would just be futile. What what's what's kind of interesting is that because in, in in some regard like the, the way we're talking about this now it it feels like oh you go back to your hometown and everybody loves your hometown and it looks nice but like you have nothing but bad memories of that place so it's a it, for you it's a very dark spot in America to go back and visit like all of the worst things of your life live there but for everybody else it's just like oh what a beautiful gorgeous city but what's crazy is that. The place has fallen apart. Like the the movie theaters being closed down, like all the places they used to haunt are are no longer really around. Poor town is still just as poor as it was, if not maybe worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they are returning to this area that everybody loves. Like, oh, Derry, Maine, voted best place in America to visit on a frugal budget or something, right? <laughs> like, um, like they they are going back to a place that is is worse than when they left it. Yeah. It, it, like this city is is constantly consuming itself, and you'd think that Pennywise would want Derry to stay prosperous. And I think he, he just wants it to be there. He just wants it to kind he, of be bland. I know, but you think he'd want choice? Like he'd want oh, yeah. options? 
Like he yeah, want- get some of those like, Buffalo Wild Wing kids to come in. Yeah, <laughs> some girls in cute little pigtails going to the carnival and boys shooting slingshots down at the creek. Like you want options as Pennywise. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, if there aren't new families coming to town, there there aren't going to be any kids. Not in thirty years, no. I tell you that much. No. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you think Pennywise has existed. For- Forever. Not forever, but I, I, I'm i saying he's at least, what, 1960, 1990. I'm going to say he's 100 years old. That's it? At least. Just 100? You don't think it, maybe he was like a monster who was like he takes me in as the like Wild a, West? Maybe possibly even, that big turtle that the Native Americans <laughs> worshipped? Well, Stephen King does have a thing with the, That's what I'm saying. the Native American stuff, so maybe. <laughs> but I like to think of him as like... um. He's an American demon. Like he, all right. he came up with progress. Maybe it's the um, like all of the photos of him in Mike's scrapbook. It's all like sepia toned, nineteen uh, hundred stuff. That to me looks like where Penny. Like I picture Pennywise is a carny who came in on the wind. He is something wicked. This way comes. All right, but I think before before people settled down, he was probably just a monster that lived on the land. Like, and oh, people died on the trek from Oregon out here. To but maybe Maine. at that point he was just a spirit. Like, maybe it was it yeah. was something to do with the greed and capitalism or something that just, like, that made him tangible. And this thing that thirsts and is hungry. And, I like it. Yeah. You're, it's really interesting that he always was a clown. I, so I think, a cl- like, the clown happens to be something, like, so I, I say this like he came in on the circus or something, but I think what what he, he's wearing the clown like it's a comfortable jogging outfit. Like, yeah. Like, he, he could... He could be anything. Well, yeah. And, and at he, times is. And, yeah, he's the mummy, he's the werewolf, he's the leper, he, he is whatever you're afraid of, and at one point, some kid was terrified of cr- clowns, and he put on the clown, and maybe it's the closest um, thing that that humans can almost universally recognize or be afraid of. That that is kind of he's able to wear his heart on his sleeve as the clown. Like it's the closest mm. thing to who he is as a personality. Like it encapsulates his dark sense of humor and the wickedness and the unknown of what's lurking under the makeup. Like, I like it. I feel like he really enjoys being the clown. Like, that's why we call him Pennywise the Clown more often than we call him It. We know he's not a clown. Do you think at some point, so he took the moniker Pennywise the Clown, and then somehow, maybe out of boredom, like, he got, like he, he was eating a kid, right? And uh, this guy who happens to own a circus sees him, but doesn't see him eating the kid. And like, hey, you a clown? <laughs> we happen to need a clown and you like you know just just out of like his flashlight pennywise like kicks a little kid into a bush <laughs> like yeah yeah i'm your man and then he he went on as a as a performer for a little while and after after a little bit decided nah this isn't for me um you just set up in dairy yeah i just I set like up the in sewers dairy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah gotta stay here yeah i like i like to think that he's he was a monster that just existed forever and yeah, at some point just started becoming a clown. Uh, you know, what's funny though is is when you were 
you were talking about him being comfortable as the clown. It never occurred to me that it was weird that he was always the clown. I th- I, I definitely because nobody is specifically afraid of clowns. No. in this story, like none of the Losers Club are specifically associated with being terrified of clowns. Yeah, but a clown just out in the middle of nowhere kind of doesn't make sense. Like a werewolf, everybody would go, "What?" Yeah, but, but in with a, small, a clown, it's like in a small huh? town in the summer, a clown would come up a bunch. Maybe carnivals festivals yeah fairs i I think to a point uh in his his hunting uh, he never had to take a form or shape but once people became more civilized yeah like domesticated whatever um like once people settled down where he happened to to habitat like where he happened to live he probably started having to come up with more comfortable ways because he had to lure people in. Like, I think, you know, if he was just like the Wild West, he could just like snatch a horse or a person like as they came by on the Pony Express. Like, oh, grandma never got her letter because somebody strung up in a fucking cocoon somewhere. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it, it's really interesting when you point out that he is a clown all the time because, yeah, there's something about it. He likes it. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I think that's that's so great. I've never looked at it like that. And you really see, too, how much he enjoys being the clown in that first little vignette with Georgie at the beginning. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the one even before that, which is the little girl, where, like, the blankets are drying in the wind, right? And uh, as the blankets are fluttering, she's getting, like, this little glimpse, and... You, I'd forgot about that. That's oh, really, it's so great. That was yeah. a, that was a moment that really terrified me when yeah. I was a kid. Just like that tricycle, right? Just the tricycle tipped over and nowhere to be seen. But yeah, he's 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 got like one line of dialogue, and it's just oh, <laughs> and, <sighs> hey, and he's not there every time. Like she can kind of see him, but she can't. Like she really has to focus in order to see him. And by the time she she knows what she's looking at, it's already too late. <laughs> it's good. It's like you gotta like tune in to a wavelength in order to like get the Pennywise transmission. Well, I, I think you need to be scared of him to see him. Yeah, maybe that's why he's a clown. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Um, huh? I think that's interesting. So, so adults aren't scared of him is what it comes down to. Sorry, I, I, I'm just derailing the podcast because like I, you've said something very interesting. I like that a lot. You can't see him if you're not afraid of him. Huh. But I did want to talk about the Georgie scene. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I I took us away from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think it's a perfect little short story about being a kid and being fearful. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think it's just a wonderful, like, five-minute little story. And I know it's it's such an odd thing for film because they keep it intact in both, both of the movie adaptations mm-hmm. where Bill is sick... He is in bed. Georgie wants to go play outside with a boat. Um, and Bill promised, but Bill is sick. So uh, Georgie wants to row this newspaper boat. And Bill says, well, we got to wax it first or mm-hmm. whatever it is he does to the, the boat to make it waterproof. But Georgie has to go down to the basement to get the wax. And before before we're even introduced to Pennywise, before any of that stuff, just seeing Georgie have to go into the dark basement is up there with some of the scarier stuff in the movie. Um, because you remember... It, it, early in the film, it gets you to remember being a kid and being fearful. Yeah. That is what the Georgie sequence teaches you. And as kids, you don't think of adults as being scared. So they wouldn't see Pennywise. Sorry, I'm going to keep referring back to what you said earlier. It's blowing my mind. But yeah, kids are f- 
kids are afraid of the dark. Kids are afraid of the basement. Is there anything down there? I mean, in a Stephen King movie, yes, they are. Of course there's something down there <laughs> in a Stephen King movie. But in in regular life, that it's there's nothing there. And that's to get you in the mind of being a kid and being afraid. And then... Because, I mean, yeah, Georgie, Georgie's at that age where fear exists now. Like, as a kid, maybe you sit on Santa's lap uh, at, like, the age of two and you cry because it's like, a oh, weird person. You don't smell like mom. Yeah, like, <laughs> you're the first person I've met with a beard and I hate it. Um, But then you kind of get into this fearless stage where you you don't, you're not aware enough to be scared yet. Mm-hmm. And then a year or two later, you're Georgie's age and suddenly things are scary now. So it's like Pennywise wouldn't have shown up to Georgie a year beforehand. That's very true. Like not, that, not that Pennywise was around, but yeah, he would have maybe been too young to be scared. Or apprehensive. Huh. Or, <laughs> yeah. Huh. Who is your favorite member of the Losers Club? Favorite member of the Losers Club in the 1990 version. You can do the 1990 and the 2018. I'll talk about the 2018 version uh, when we talk about it, chapter two, it's like, like Bill Hader. Okay, yeah, we it, haven't seen him yet. I'll just, yeah, it's probably gonna be Bill Hader, which <laughs> is great because my choice for 1990 is is Richie Tozier. Uh, I think it's Seth Green, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's great. I love him. He's got his stupid little glasses. They're all broken, but he's just he's got so much character. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's funny. In the if if I had to pick somebody from the 2018 version, it's probably Beverly. Beverly is the coolest in the new one. But, but yeah, 1990, definitely going Seth Green. What about yourself? Um, you take me as a stand, girl. You like the bird watcher. No, you know, I think <laughs> I, I think I like Ben the most. Yeah? Yeah, because he's such a, so in the new version, they gave a lot of the mic knowledge to Ben. So yeah. new Ben is very redeemable and he has, he has worth outside of Beverly. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the 1990 version, he's so hopelessly romantic and and he has nothing else he's a smart kid in this one though i know but i just love how how kind of pitiful he is (laughs) um he is brave though like when he fights henry bauer and stuff and like he's good at getting away from him and whatever but yeah doesn't take shit from his cousin i like ben yeah ben's cool yeah and i do like beverly um beverly's played for by uh the same actress that was in ginger snaps young beverly oh yeah yeah oh shit yeah yeah, damn, damn. <laughs> and yeah, the young Bill definitely just looks like they took Jeff Fahey and hit him with a young Ray. Like, like, <laughs> young Ray? Yeah, just... Now you're 15 years younger. It looks like... He looks like Jeff Fahey from Body Parts, from Lawnmower Man. Uh-huh. From Left Behind, you got that a lot Christian of horror guns series. <laughs> Stop shooting those Jeff Fahey guns at me. Let me holster this gun here. <laughs> um, so are you ready to get your ratings or... Ratings? I don't think I don't feel like we've talked about the second half of the movie. I like the Chinese restaurant scene. I think it's good. It's so weird though. It's we watched so them eat weird. dinner for a really long Forever. time. Forever. And they're just Forever. like montage music and they're all laughing and talking and like, we're friends again. Yeah. And when Bill and Mike go on that bike ride for a while. That is the worst scene of the movie. <laughs> and they're oh pretending my God. to be kids again. Oh, oh and they're so cool. I love just it. Like, yeah, no, bikes. I love it. They mm, do jumps. Bikes. Oh, no, you got bicycle great. carts? Oh, And they do the shit. bull rider thing? <laughs> yeah, he's, oh. oh, I got the horns. No, I you see it. what I mean? We're glossing over a lot. I love it. The library scene where Richie comes back to town and the balloons are there. Yeah, and we talked popping, about how the adults couldn't see. And there's blood see. all over the place. And do you have Princess Out Prince? 
Prince Albert in a can? You better let him out. His delivery. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 And his delivery is great. Like, why am I trying to imitate Tim Curry? It's impossible. They come back. They vanquish Pennywise with their dreams. It's- I, okay, fine. Then let me go for a few other things I want to talk about. Uh, I love when the bully gets sucked through the tunnel. I think it is one of the oh, greatest. Oh, that is great. One of the greatest fucking shots. Because he gets pulled in half. Oh, and just like the deadlights are taking them and stuff. It looks incredible. Uh, you know, it's it's a, <laughs> it's immediately paired very well. Uh, I shouldn't say immediately, but paired very well with the dog head that helps uh, Henry escape from the mental institution. Very strange. Um, but th- honestly, the scariest part of this whole, whole miniseries is when Bill's wife is coming to town because she's got to figure out why Bill left. Why he just went away without any warning and went to his hometown of Derry, Maine, and like Pennywise is there and he looks at her and I don't want you. I don't remember what he says to her, but it's so fucking scary. Basically, like gives her the deadlights, right? Right away. So, like, is that the only adult that Pennywise takes at all, like across the board? Well, he tries to take the Losers Club at the end because they're all like stuck in the lights at the end. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, oh, they're man. all like, I gotta come help you, Bill. Oh. Wait, Bill, don't look. Oh, I'll look. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, Richie. Richie, I won't need you. Yeah, oh, I hate that sequence. I hate that sequence. I really don't like the fight at the end. And I, I, I get it. They are, they are supposed to kind of be like kids again. They're just a little too childish. Like, because obviously, like, fear is is crippling them. And it's as though they're kids again. I, I get all that. I just don't love their performance. And it is also just kind of like recycling the same stuff I've already seen. This is battery acid. But it's like to no avail. Like, <laughs> at least when they spray him as kids, like, his face melts and shit. And it looks great. Uh, but in this, it's just like... Praying Mantis is like, nah, bro. It's because he was still afraid. That's I know, I know he was still afraid. But then, oh, Beverly's got to, like, shoot the silver still. And this <laughs> and, oh, boy, it's crazy. I don't, I don't love it. Yeah, I like that they kick the shit out of him and tear him apart and stuff. Like, the, the scenes with all of the shadows in that You know, in that co- I could have got done for more, like, drop-kicking Pennywise. Like, if they were all, like, they became a real gang and they <laughs> like just Roundhouse started, like... kicked him? Yeah, we're just, like, kicking him in the face and Like shit. the end of Death Proof, where they just put their fucking heel through <laughs> his jaw. And he's still a clown? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and every time they punched him, he's like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like a, a squeak. Like a squeak to yeah. yeah. Oh man! And they just kick the shit out of Pennywise. Yeah, when they break his neck, it sounds like his little like cranker that he's got. Going I hope in that's the, the new movie. I hope it has zero uh, CGI in the end. There's no like fantastical transformations or lights. It's just them beating up a clown in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> like the weirdest soundboard as well. <laughs> I'd be down for that. All right, are you ready to get to ratings now? Uh, Is there anything else you want to say? I mean, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it like? Bill riding. It's Bill's bike ride at the end. I thought we could just pretend it didn't happen. Oh, you can't pretend that did. How do you end the movie like that? Oh, I what a silver. Sh- oh Away. man, guys, it's so bad. <sighs> so his wife's catatonic, right? Olivia Hussey's just like a, a shell of a woman that she used to be. Oh, it's been weeks and she's still just comatose. And oh, I know what's gonna save her: a bike ride through town. You know. This bike saved me 
and it saved my friends. And I, you know, oh, I thought that if I rode fast enough, I could ride away from all my problems. And maybe you can too. You can ride away from this. You just gotta believe, baby. Oh, fuck that ending. Like, oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate his dumb hair. Like, it <laughs> undercuts all of it. If he had shaved his head and got a mohawk or something for that last scene, it'd be like, okay, well, I mean, at least he's he's doing his own thing. I don't know. It. I, really... I feel like... You're against the 90s right now. It's not the 90s. And I can't, I'm against... Oh. I can't stand for that. And and so you shouldn't, but... It is made for TV It is gold. such a bad ending. Hi-ho, Silver. Away. Such a bad ending. <laughs> oh, man. I look what she comes to in the really intersection. What oh, are we? What? Oh, what? <laughs> oh, man. It's horrible. If you haven't seen this movie in a long time... Uh, I'm sure you will enjoy revisiting it, but I want you to pay very close attention to the last two minutes of the movie. It's awful. It's horrible. It's pretty good. It's so bad that they said, oh, you know what we need to do? We need to end with a little Tim Curry laugh, because then no one will remember the dumb bike ride. <laughs> They'll just remember the Tim Curry laugh. Like, oh, isn't it great that, that that Ben and Bev finally got together, and oh my god, Tim Curry might still be alive! Oh, no bike ride! <laughs> Okay, so what is your rating of It 1990? I don't know. Don't rate it based on the bike ride, John. <laughs> so, okay, so I mean, like, I'm, I'm rating it based on how much I like it. Um, and I... What else do you rate like it on? It. Anything else? <laughs> I'm vamping for time. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 4. 3.5? You really bitched about the bike ride. For you to give it a 3? Yeah, I'm giving it a three or four. I really like this movie. Like, it's, it's got a lot of lulls. But when it works, it really works. Like, I really, really like some of the scenes. I'm in this movie. surprised. <laughs> and I've, I've listened to you talk for 45 minutes. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to give it, like, a one and a half. No, it's good. It's not great. It's a TV movie. Uh, it's got Tim Curry. Tim Curry's amazing in every scene he's in. He's the Beetlejuice of the movie. I was going to give it a three out of four. Now I feel like I need and to I've readjust my rating. <laughs> like, I must be a five. I was like, wait, if he's giving it a three. Hey, I mean, uh, it all comes from a place of love. I could still I could still point out all the stuff that That's doesn't true. make any goddamn sense and say, I like it, and though. And it's the 90s. Yeah, nostalgia, huh? No, I just mean that, like... It's bad. Yeah, I guess it's nostalgia. I guess, <laughs> I guess it's nostalgia. I have no defense. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, it's a product of its time. It had it, it had budget constraints because uh, it's hard to say whether reasons. I'm whether I like something because it's nostalgic reasons or if you if you like something because it's so bad it's good and the '90s was rich with so bad it's good. Sure. Like I feel like the '90s was cream of the crop for so bad it's good. When you look at it from a 2019 lens, sure. Yeah. People are going to say the same thing about 2019 movies in 2024. 2024. That's not even that far what? away. <laughs> That'll well, be you know us. how you know how fast stuff evolves. <laughs> so, what's your rating? I'm gonna go three out of four. Yeah, it it, it earns it. It's good. I love it. Yeah, so I mean, much fun. If if I also gave it a two out of four, I would not be incredibly surprised. I thought about doing it. It just doesn't feel right. No, I like I like this movie. Well, and Tim Curry is wonderful. Like Tim Curry, whether whether or not. It is your favorite to uh, Stephen King story. Uh, Tim Curry is one of the best quirky horror characters of all time. Yeah. Do you think that that weird sort of like what like not bloodshot but like blood washed eye that he has um, 
is just like an irritant from the makeup. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it looks, looks it looks amazing. Great. Yeah. Especially when he's in the sewer because his eyes are so wet and red looking. Um, he looks like he's an alcoholic. Yeah, I was gonna sewer. say either he's Hanging either he's not healthy. Sewer. Yeah, or uh, or he's just. I think it's all the makeup. I think because it's the makeup's all so white. the makeup. Yeah, but it makes him look even more terrifying because there's something underneath the makeup that's like not so pristine. Yeah, he's bleeding out a little bit around the edges. So good. When he gets burned with the battery acid, too. Looks great. great. Fan-fucking-tastic. Wonderful. Yeah. Love it. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible T-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Moving on. Let's talk about another powerhouse Stephen King adaptation. Let's talk about Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot. Do you believe a thing can be inherently evil? The Marsden House, for instance. How do you like that old house? It needs work, but we have time. Open the window. He commands it. Quiet little town of Salem's life. Oh, it's only all just happened since... Since I came here. Trying to rape me. The vampires are creating vampires. Yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Bill, Bill! Where are you, Sammy, darling? Mr. Barlow is on a buying trip, but the moment he arrives, he'll enjoy Mr. Barlow. He'll enjoy you. Bow, bow. Bow, bow. Bow, bow. That's pretty good. It's <laughs> actually not bad. So Salem's Lot from 1979, currently sitting at a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. And 100% in my heart. <laughs> oh, man, guys. Um... I don't know what the wait has been. I don't know why it took us, I'm going to say me, but us so long to finally watch this movie. I kind of loved it. I had never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what my aversion was. Okay, you know what? I I had no aversion. It was just accessibility. You're like, yeah, fuck it. It, (laughs) It's it's, not here right now. I'm not going to think about it. It's not anything I grew up with. I've never found it at a thrift store. A lot of my Stephen King finds have been thrift store finds. Um, We've been watching a lot recently with... um, like our re our VHS research. It's probably the only miniseries we haven't found on VHS. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very upset. Oh, I had to rent it on Google Play. That is a <laughs> that is a modern medium. <laughs> Looked great though. It did look really good. HD was the only option. Like you can't watch this in standard definition. It's bullshit. Don't even try it. You it can... was pretty great definition. And we'll talk about those fucking vampires because oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Growing up, my dad always talked up the book. He uh, he really liked the book. 
I think I maybe tried reading it, got bored, put it down. I was probably I want to read it now. I want to read it too. The crazy thing is I remember renting this. And I watched the first half. I obviously wasn't pay- like the first cassette. I don't know if it was the first half. It is very dry. For an eight-year-old, yeah. nine-year-old boy, yeah. I think I may have fallen asleep. Did you see any of the vampires, though? I woke up. Would that not have traumatized eight-year-old you? Uh, I remember. I think I'd known about it. Because oh. also it's spoofed in The Simpsons. They're still trauma. Oh, yeah. I don't know. No, it's really creepy. I was playing through the beats of what I knew from The Simpsons. I was expecting when they killed Barlow at the end. Spoiler alert. The super fun happy slide? That, well, one, I was <laughs> expecting the super fun happy slide because there were no stairs to the basement. Remember the stairs? Oh, yeah, they just off? fell in. I was yeah. like, "Is there a slide?" No, but when they killed Barlow, I expected all the vampires to be dead. Yeah, it's crazy he was the that head they're not. Vampire. Yeah, I was really, really surprised that they weren't. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing, yeah, like the window stuff, but it, I, I just turned it off. I was whatever, and it, 25 years later, here we are. Wow! If I had have seen any of the vampire sequences at the window. I would have been traumatized. Really? Traumatized. The tree in Poltergeist in the window scared me. It's funny, watching it now, having seen Poltergeist like a thousand times, I see so much of Poltergeist in this movie. There there are some great sequences, especially with the when the vampire shows up, like the head vampire, Mr. Barlow, shows up in the kitchen and kills Mark's parents yeah. and the priest. Like so much of how that was shot just felt like Poltergeist and it's just, to just me. how domestic it is and yeah. how much about the family unit it all of a sudden became. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I I know we're all over the place right now, but I am obsessed with the interior of that house. I fucking loved everything. Every You're goddamn shot. You're just jealous shot. of Mark's bedroom. No, no, no. And all no, his no, horror no. Okay. posters. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. And his little dioramas. He's got some great dioramas. He I don't know what that Cobra dioramas. desk was, but I kind of want it. Uh, yeah, no, he's got a lot of cool Universal Monsters posters. But no, I'm talking about the interior of the Marston house. Like how it's just like decay, oh, decay yeah. and everything is so green. It looked fucking gorgeous. I don't know. I could not find a single GIF. From the inside of that house, except for when, uh, except for that when once his face got impaled on like all those deer heads and oh, horns and stuff. That was a surprise. That was great. Why was he so strong? I have no idea. I don't. He's know got like super duper abilities. Yeah, they pro- they probably should have recognized that though when he turned his suits into them. And be like, wow, these are cut for some guy who's secretly ripped. <laughs> <laughs> the inseam on this, he's got to have gigantic thighs. Yeah. This is for biceps. I don't know anything about suit size. Like, I know the word inseam. That's about it. Oh, your That's neck size. That's for your beer gut. Yeah, uh, I think inseams are for your pants, right? No, your inseam is your waist, isn't it? The inseam. No, no, no. When you think about... So I don't know. This, this seam right here you're seeing on my oh, jeans. Like That's the, the inseam. I guess this would be the outseam. I don't know. Seam seam. Yeah. So I guess like skinny jeans, they got a, they got a high inseam is the idea. What? I don't know. I'm not wearing skinny jeans right now. Are you doubting me? <laughs> I just don't know where we go from here. <laughs> okay, I know where to segue from this. Let's talk about Ben's wardrobe. Lot of green, lot of brown. Oh, all the elbow patches. So many elbow yeah, patches. Yeah, if you want to partake in a Salem's Lot reenactment, if you want a vampire to come in your window. You just need to buy like a fake or a faux professor outfit from any costume yeah, shop. Yeah, you just need elbow patches, and then that weird 
comb over style of the 70s where nobody uh nobody was doing it because they had receding hairlines but everybody was just doing it yeah how do you have a comb over when you're not bald yeah there were so many non-bald comb overs i'm going bald and i don't even have a comb over oh i guess i kind of do i have a comb back like you have a you have a poof like i (laughs) not not like a trump poof but like a mm, what do you call it you have almost a grillo. Let's call I think it the grillo. Sure. I think it's the high and tight is, is kind of what it is. I have a looser high and tight, but I think it's the the quaff, I think, is the actual name of like the this, the um, jailbird snake from The Simpsons. I I'm thought pretty it was sure a that's poufant. A, I'm pre- uh, I don't think they call it poufants. I mean, quaff even sounds worse, but... Quaff. Oh, uh, quaff. Quaff. By the way, I've been trying to find a photo of Homer Simpson saying quaff in The Raven. Oh, yeah? I want that to be my Twitter background photo, and I can't find it anywhere. Oh. I want him just going, quaff. Side note, I tried to use the Lenore one for, I can't remember what it was. It was something I was trying to do like a vertical photo for. Oh, with like all, the, all ones of the, the framed photos yeah. of the hair? And I couldn't find a high def one. For, it's because it's the first tree has a horror. There's not a lot of HD, which stinks. It's a bummer. Yeah. Can you guys tell that we had an energy drink between the first half and the second half? Did we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, outfits. Crazy. Um, I just liked all of the elbow. Everybody. It wasn't consistent with one character. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to give the writer character, we're going to give him all the elbow patches. It's like, no. Yeah, because every met- character. Well, I don't know, though. He's got elbow patches, and then he runs into the guy, like, oh, I just want to let you know I became a writer because of you. That guy had elbow patches. Maybe he just oh. grew up idolizing those I- those elbow patches. Like, so when it's I character development. I think so. Deep. They look into each other, they see each other. I don't remember that. Um, I don't remember Fred Willard having elbow patches. I think he did. Did he? I think there was. I, I remember, remember his silk boxers. Is this oh, whole yeah. episode gonna be the wardrobe? About fashion. Yeah, fashion. Well, yeah, and that uh, the woman he's sleeping with, his his uh, secretary or his assistant her, or like, whatever, lingerie romper. And her like, yeah, yeah, she she was ready to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the first time either. And she was so like. Um, Headstrong about it, like she was in control of this. Yeah, yeah Fred Willard the whole time. Like, I, I don't know. know. And she's like, "We're doing it, and we're doing it in my house." This <laughs> yeah. is like, this is okay. When her husband comes home too, like the like all you really overhear from the other room is, "Isn't it better here?" I told you, it's better here. Like she she loves that it, that she's yeah. in her own house in her own like marital bed. Yeah. Yeah. That scene was fucking tense. I was hoping we were just going to like skip everything and talk about that scene. Right. Because that was the most intense part of the movie, and so little of it is about fucking vampires. Okay, I know, I know, but it leads to the... Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, we're let's, pumping the brakes. Let's get through the scene sure. first. His name's Cully, right? I think it's Cully. Cully's supposed to be going... Her husband is supposed to be going up to Portland, Portland, Maine, uh, to pick up a package for Mr. Straker. Oh, and also a bunch of padlocks. Hey, I'm, I'm going to need you to pick up this item. Uh, I'm going out of town. I don't want to be anywhere near it. And then when you come back, <laughs> it's, a it's a little bitey, this package. It's a little bitey. So he, he sends his buddies to go do it because he's established with his wife that he'll be out of town. Perfect opportunity for him to catch her in the act. Cheating. Oh, breaking them vows. And when he comes in, he's... Got a gigantic shotgun. He just puts it right in front of Fred Willard's Well, face. and also, too, he's definitely a drunk. Oh, and yeah. And we see him drinking every scene before this. And also, when he's skipping off work to go catch his wife cheating, he's, like, carrying a six-pack out and around to do, like... Just hanging out in the graveyard. Yeah. Drinking. Waiting for the right time, I guess? I don't know. So, you know he's 
He's all kinds ready of bad to, news. Yeah. yeah. The hinges are very loose on this man. <laughs> when he finds them, though, he, uh, he, he holds Fred Willard at gunpoint. And she gives him up so quick, by oh, the way. Yeah. As soon as he comes in, she goes, he's a raper. Oh, he's a rapist. He he, he broke in. And I, I, I don't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And he's playing with her, too. He's like, oh, is, is that right? Are you a rapist? Are you here to hurt my wife? And it seems like he's going along with it. You know for sure. You know for certain that he think he knows she's full of shit. Oh, but it's so uncomfortable, too, though, because he pulls Fred Willard to the living room and he's like, we're just going to talk man to man for a second. Ugh. And mind mind you, these people are half naked and he's got a shotgun pointed at them. And he's like, you stay there. I'm coming back for you. I'll be back for you later. And you're like, what Ugh. the fuck? Yeah. And he's complimenting he Fred Willard on his shorts. Ugh. Those are some nice shorts. You must really like them. Probably why you're still wearing them. I like them too, by the way. They look great. Where'd you get them? Oh, it's crazy. But yeah, he makes him, he makes him hold the gun and he makes him... Uh, he makes him hold it right to his face. He tells him not to move. And don't there's just move. a full minute where they're just standing there, eyes don't locked. Don't move. Oh, don't move. It's one of the greatest lines, though, right? Oh. Like, see? See how much self-control you can have? Like, oh, God. Oh, man. We were oh, both man. like, oh, my God. I was kind of over that scene until that happened. Oh, and then it was hands down the greatest scene of the whole oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh. He's so nuts. It's so paid off for the entire sequence before it. You're and, just like, yeah. fuck. Of course, he pulls the trigger and both barrels completely empty. But, like, Fred Willard jumps back. You know, obviously aware that he could have just as easily died a second ago uh, and runs out the door into a fucking vampire. Vampire the claw. fucking vampire. Oh, yeah. Man, it is such a good goddamn shot. So he's running. Oh, God. What do I do? Bam. Claw comes up on the screen. He's got a quick reaction of just like a horrified face and we crash zoom into that claw. Oh, man. There's... There's a few crash zooms that I enjoyed. They're amazing. So retro. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um. This it should be said too. The first half of this. Are we calling it a miniseries or a TV movie? Uh, it's two parts. I yeah. I, I, either's fine. It's like a really long regular film. Yeah. It's like three something hours, right? Three and a half hours. Yeah. It's so odd because you go so long before you see any vampire stuff, but. I really enjoyed the small town enough that I didn't really care. I was into it. I wasn't like, hey, where are all these fucking cool vampires? I know there's a Nosferatu guy. Where is he? But you you know he's coming. And and especially, too, seeing this kind of retroactively where I've seen, you know, I've, I've grown up with Fright Night and I've grown up with Lost yeah. Boys and all those movies that were kind of riffing off this movie. I knew I knew what Stryker was up to. I knew what was going on up at the old house. I yeah. knew that, like... This kid was going to go with this writer guy, and they were going to be the final two at the end. Yep, um, yep. So I wasn't really impatient getting there. I, I knew what uh, what Stryker was up to, and I really enjoyed just watching him interact with the police officer and him interacting with everybody in town because, one, his dialogue was great, and he was so debonair. And, you really love him and oh Susan. Oh, my God. I you fucking, love I loved everybody. Susan. Susan was great, too. Susan's good. Because she was, like, playing hard to get, and it was... It was wonderful. Everything yeah, and she's not great. she's not completely wowed by the fact that he's a writer that and she's And she was reading. reading his book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's just, none of these characters are pretentious, which I really enjoy. And also, nothing was played with cheese. A lot of times, Stephen King characters don't really, for at least for me, they don't translate 
to screen very well. Agreed. Because uh, with with writing, you have the ability to do a lot of internal monologuing, and it's really hard to make those quirky characters that he writes translate without making them feel hammed. Like, for instance, like Richie Tozer in It. For a lot of his one-liners and stuff, they, they don't really land just because there's so many of them and they feel so stiff. Yeah. Well, I think in a book, too, like, you're dealing with somebody's imagination. You've got a page that's got no illustrations on it. You need to give them everything. Well, and there's more time. Like, yeah. you don't need to uh, d- download people. Like, this is who a person is. Now we're going to throw them in a shitty situation. You have you have time. You, you feel more like a, an invisible person or a fly on the wall when you're reading a book. Like, you are literally there with these people and you're seeing everything. But with a movie, like, you're being, you've been given a window into a story. And you would expect those people to still withhold some stuff from you, but like you pick up on subtle cues, like maybe just their facial expressions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Stephen King's pretty pretty good at overloading you on background story and emotion. Yeah, and what I think was really smart about this movie, or perhaps it's something that that bothers people, is there's a lot of plot points for how long this film is, and for it being a two part miniseries. You're thinking that they got to film everything that they wanted to film, basically. Yeah. There's some pretty important plot beats that get either just said um, just randomly by a character in another scene and it's really advanced. Like, somebody's died. Somebody else has died. Somebody's on life support. Oh, yeah. He goes, in he goes into uh, to get, like, a bandage on his forehead because he got punched. And by the time he comes out, Three half the town's gone. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of things advance really quickly. But that first half of the movie, the first act of the story, we get to spend a good amount of time just being comfortable with these characters. And it's a really quiet and slow and almost really like calm way Mm -hmm. and small town living babe i but i like that they sacrificed it 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 does require you to be very attentive later on because you're like wait that woman was bitten so she was she was kind of like but now she's dead and like oh oh yeah we're at her we're she's in the morgue okay yeah we have a scene where like where mom you can tell mom has definitely been attacked by her ghost vampire son dream of her son fuck it's so good he was there i saw him he kept saying i'm your baby i'm your baby but what's so spooky about that is we never saw it. No. So we just know we're like, that's not your baby. No Definitely more. not your baby. Or even the cop where he's like, hey, oh, man, I don't know what it is. I'm just so tired today. I had this dream that Ned Tebbets came to see me. Oh, friggin' strange. Oh, fucking Tebbets. Yeah, fuck that guy. Fucking Tebbets. Why does he have an S on his name anyway? It should just be Ned Tebbett. Ned Tebbett. And they even point that out where he's like, Ned Tebbett? She goes, Ned Tebbets. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It's great. The the only moment that there's any sort of like cheese or like over the top dialogue is uh when Ben is trying to explain why he's back in town. When he's talking about the Marston house and like the power that it holds and yeah, oh, it seems I was to the catalyst for this. People yeah. and, oh, it's, it's, I've seen so many people come and go in the Marston family, you know they were oh, all the the tragedy that befell them and oh, but, were the vampires also just like some I, some meaty history. Better <laughs> better put my coffin in that basement. I think that the house is just slowly attracting evil, and then, then the question becomes like, well, why is it attracting you? What darkness lies in your soul? Mm. But I don't I don't know that we needed any of that for the story to still work. He could just be a writer who has came back to town came back to town because he wants to write a spooky story not even that it's just like he remembers this creepy house that scared him as a kid so now he's here and he wants to use that house as inspiration Mm. the same that stephen king did with the stanley hotel for the shining and he's just he's rented a room 
to look at it while he's writing. And just by happenstance, from observing the house, he's seen Straker go in and out, and things are getting a little fishy, and now he's going into his investigative, uh, like, detective mode. All of that can still happen, which happens in the movie, Mm -hmm. without the whole, like, oh, mythology of the creepy house. I think we could have gotten rid of all of that. I mean, hell, we're probably lucky that we didn't get a bunch of Native American folklore. Hmm. There's probably a lot more backstory in regards to the Marston. Oh, I guarantee uh, it. Mythology in simmer down <laughs> <laughs> in the the novel, and also there's got to be something that relates more to tying the protagonist in, like tying Ben into the Marstons and why Barlow and Straker have chosen this place to situate. But yeah. in a film, it's like show us the dem vampires, yeah, and give there's us dem vampire final battle. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 too many levels for a movie. Like you've got what's what's really evil in this town is the house. The house attracts evil, and it just so happens that the evil it attracted this time was a vampire. He seems to really like locations being haunted because it is about a town that's haunted. Mm-hmm. Shining is about a hotel, and also I think it's just a primo location. Like they've got a good setup right at the top of town, and there's this small isolated town that they can. Feed off of. Yeah, I got that primo location. Um, got that dank museum. But what I do want to talk about is I want to talk about the the vampire mythology of this, In this film. Okay. Because something so refreshing about it, and I know it's from 1979, so it's not necessarily new cinema, but the vampire mythology of the the clan or whatever, the coven. What do you call a coven? Yeah. Coven of Van- vampires. Coven of vampires. Murder of vampires. What do you call a group of bats? A clamor of bats. Yeah, shit, I don't know. I don't remember. I remember we've looked this up before, and it was like kind of cute. It was like a swath of bats. A brundle of bats. That'd be cool. Yeah. (laughs) A bundle of bats. Um, Okay. But either way, it's very universal horror. There's something so classic about it. There is no way to feast upon somebody without turning them, Mm. and they. There's, I don't know, it just seems so... How the vampire, like, has to visit more than once. Yeah, yeah. and they, they, they visit them at night, and they, they they say sweet words to them, and um, they entrance them or romance them almost. Yeah, to they really pull, prey on their weaknesses. And it's they crazy. need to be invited. There's... There was a really great line where, I can't remember who said it. Was it the... It's the teacher. Yeah, and he's like, I revoke my invitation. Oh, Casts so good. Him out, like, and like the, the little clay, clay cross worked. It was, oh, everything yeah. about the vampires was so There was wonderful. a popsicle stick cross. Oh, so wonderful. Uh, 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 regarding the invitations, though, uh, it was that scene in particular that, I don't know, it seemed like you were you were way ahead of me on this one, but the idea that these vampires need to be invited in uh, and just... Opening the door, opening the windows to your bedroom is the invitation to let them in. I don't I don't know why it never occurred to me. Maybe it's just because you're right, it's it's very universal horror. We don't really get the vampires need to be invited in stuff anymore. Like we're in the world of underworld now, uh where They have just, guns. They just got guns. They're gonna kick that fucking door down, whether you're a werewolf or a human. We're getting Michael <laughs> and we're getting out of here. Um so yeah, like the, It's the covenant. It's forbidden. <laughs> We clearly like Underworld. Yeah, we, we like Underworld a lot. 
but yeah, the just like the pawing at the at the windows is the like, hey, can oh, I the come scratching. in? Yeah, it's real and good. And how it's all done. The best decision to not have that kid talk. It's so great. Oh, it's so fucking smart. Oh man, I mean, like eventually they do talk, where he's like, come a on, li- but Mark, just a let little me bit. In. Just a little. It's almost bit. like a zombie. Like they they are not the people that they were. They just retain like enough. That you can see some sort of familiarity, like in Dawn of the Dead, where like, oh, people are returning to the mall, and and or the dead don't die, where they want coffee and Chardonnay. <laughs> uh, like in this, they just know enough uh, of who their family was that they can prey on them. Well, that they know that they can influence them. Yeah. Um, like you're not gonna open the door to a stranger, but you will definitely open the door to like your dead son while you're still deep in grief. Yeah. Plus, who's gonna fucking think that that's real? Like you're just gonna assume you're in a dream. I had a dream last night. Yeah. Uh, When that mom wakes up in the morgue and she's calling for her son when she first wakes up as the vampire. Oh my God. um, The makeup was fucking phenomenal. The and perhaps this is because we watched it in HD. I maybe I wouldn't say this if we watched it on VHS on our tiny twelve inch screen. Who knows? But fuck the the contact lenses and the glowing yes. eyes. Oh man! And the sickly white blue pallor they put on everybody. Oh, so good! And the teeth. The teeth were fucked the up. The teeth look amazing. They were huge. I'm all about those eyes though. They look so so good. So good. So good. Like, so so good. It, it's crazy that I forgot about them because at the end of the movie, Susan returns and she's laying on a bed when she's calling to Ben, like, come, just kiss me, just hold me, come closer. And her eyes are closed the whole time. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this lady? Why is she pretending to be asleep? And then she opens her eyes for the reveal and we've got these glowing vampire piercing eyes staring back at you. And the design, too, is so striking and so haunting they are they are innately scary just to see them, especially when you were filming backwards and we're having fog leak out oh, behind man. them. Oh, the, the the fog when that and little floating. boy we didn't attacks even talk about his the brother. crane floating. Oh, okay, you mean just mean like where he's floating in front oh, of the window? All of the floating was great. When Every he... single float was good. <laughs> Everyone. I, I I do love that first attack with the brother, uh, where he lets him in and uh, and he, he he drinks from him. Uh, and how all of it is done backwards. The entire sequence is done backwards. It looks so fucking great. Yeah. You you understand, like, everybody going into this understood that they had this really great creature design and this innately scary monster. So they didn't need to hide behind mm-hmm. a lot of dialogue. They didn't need to be these char- charismatic monsters because that's the thing about vampires is they're often seen as debonair and charismatic mm-hmm. and so they are one of our most talking um monsters yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. they are the ones that are the loudest <laughs> yeah they're the ones that can trick you and yeah and like, convince and yep. disguise who they are like there's a lot of romancing in them like dracula Dr- dracula's he goes after mina as a human being and like he romances her and goes on dates with her practically mm-hmm. so like to see these vampires not say anything and just be fucking Terrifying. They're like feral animals. Oh, loved it. Yeah, so uh, more like even more building on that mythology. They're especially in the scene where he kills the priest. At first, I was like, "This is a little strange," uh, but where they're like, "Your faith against his faith." I really do think that they're they're trying to present this vampire as a guy who's building his own religion. 
Quote, mm-hmm. quote, like a cult leader. Yeah, because he's got his disciples with him. Uh, and they are going to take over the world. They are a new faction, I guess. Uh, I just love the idea that it's it's evil presented the way that good is usually presented. We have a priest who's shown up, and he's looking for new converts. Is it, really all it is. He's he's building his flock, and he's going to go out and spread the spread the word. What's, They're knocking what's the door ultimate to door, goal? window to window. Yeah, but, but what's the ultimate goal with vampires here, though? Because they really can't kill everybody, right? Do they just know that they won't be able to and they're just going to live all the living Well, same good? as like humans, though, is you start with like cows oh, and stuff. And then as, as okay. you go over demand, you got to start factory farming. Okay. Yeah. yeah so then we right. got like, you got them locked up in barns and they're in pens and yeah. you're like, triplets, triplets, triplets. So it's The Handmaid's Tale, but with vampires. Exactly. I'm into it. Exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. Why hasn't that been done yet? It, maybe. Like, like a, is Daybreakers like that? Because I remember we, Daybreakers being We have like a lot a, of zombie apocalypse, but what about vampire apocalypse? I don't know. Why haven't we gone there? Well, there's also that Max Brooks comic book. Um, ooh, I don't remember what it's called. It might be called Zombie Apocalypse uh, or Vampire Apocalypse, but it's vampires during the zombie apocalypse. What? Yeah. It sounds stupid at first, because they're, but the zombie the zombie outbreak has is going, and the vampires are like, Fuck yeah, this is great. Society's collapsing. We can go out and feed like we've always wanted to. Like, oh, before the zombies came, we had to, like, find an excuse for this person to die and hide their body or make it look like an accident. Now they can just go out, drink somebody in the street, and toss them on the ground. Doesn't matter. Uh, And everything's OBKB and Mardi Gras for vampires until that one day they realize, oh, shit, these zombies might win. And... That means all our food is gone because we can't drink zombies. So then at some point, the vampires are like, well, I guess we got to stop these fucking zombies. And now it's like humans and vampires fighting to kill zombies. I never read it, but I hear it's good. That sounds fun. Yeah, the premise is great. I'd like to see a vampire riding a zombie. I think they ride horses in the comic book. Oh, that's fun too. (laughs) Oh, isn't that nice? I like it. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't talk about, so we talked about the vampires in general. Let's talk about Barlow. Because sure. Barlow looks completely different than everybody else. Hell because yeah. he's definitely like an ancient. I would think so. Yeah. And so Nosferatu-y, but updated for a full color film. He's <laughs> blue. Hell yeah. So blue. Because he's so dead. <laughs> and he's so got dead. great long talony fingers. And he wears the, you know, I don't know who made this cape for him, but... He's definitely got a bunch of them in his closet because it is the perfect outfit. When he stands up tall and he puts his arms out, he look he's the best silhouette ever. It yeah. is so wonderful. I love when he crashes into that kitchen too because oh. it's just like the cape. It's like and a, he's a big. cape falls. Yeah. He's like he takes up the whole fucking kitchen. It's insane how they shoot that. Yeah. But uh, like when he hits the ground, it's like, "Oh, there's a cape." Like I guess he flew in as a bat. Was that bat? Did that bat have that whole ass cape on? <laughs> that's amazing. Because that's He's got just... like a parachute backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Poof. <laughs> Man, if it wasn't for these skylights, I'd never be able to get in this goddamn house. Does he need permission to get in? Oh. Seems like he doesn't. Cuz he's boss. He just broke in. What a, okay, so maybe it's just like, a, oh, if I just fly over their house high enough and I accidentally fall through the roof, that's not my <laughs> fault. Maybe that's just a loophole that he was able to get through. There was a uh, there was a vampire TV series a little while ago in the 90s. I mean, you'd probably love it. Uh, I think it's called The Kindred, 
And there's, like, several species of vampires. And, like, the Nosferatu vampire is one of them. Okay. And there's very few of them. Like, most people are, like, the modernish vampire. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the Nosferatu vampires are there. I like I like a good Nosferatu vampire anywhere he appears. Yeah. yeah. And, though, I mean, they touch on it, like, in a funny way in what we do in the shadows. Because yeah. Peter is a Nosferatu vampire. But, but it's because he's, he's super so old. old. <laughs> yeah. Which is wonderful. They're all different versions of vampires. Like, they're all from different literature of vampires, which I thought is, I thought was so funny. Do you think about him slowly becoming a bat over time? Like, do you think in, like, another 2,000 years he'll he'll get fur on his face and he'll oh. just look like a gigantic bat? Yeah, maybe. That'd hmm. be cool. Or, like, um, what is the vampire in Underworld who's, the, he's born half, like, in half vampire? Oh, Marcus? He's got such a good nose when he's, um transformed he's got a very like stunted like baddie yeah. nose that's barlow's new nose <laughs> this is barlow's new nose yeah yeah two thousand more years he gets that little bat nose i had a little work done bats have adorable nose. noses they, they do yeah, yeah they're so cute. i mean they're kind of creepy but they're pretty adorable no, they're cute well yeah but like in a creepy way and cute way <laughs> and also a cute way <laughs> so another another weird van like so there's some people in this movie are taking a little a few liberties like the the cemetery guy oh, I, ca- I cannot remember his name uh, he's a great actor, a great character actor. I see him in tons of stuff all over the place. I'm almost positive he's in Devil's Rejects. But um, when he's a vampire, he's kind of lizard-like. He got a lot of tongue going on. He's, oh, when he is that the guy that's who's in the, in the rocking, rocking chair? chair? Yeah, mm. I'm all about that scene. So spooky. that's that's the I revoke my invitation scene. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. look at me. Look at me. Like oh. he's got a he's got a lot of tongue going on. It's like the it's like he's teething. Like he's he's got a he's got to keep tongue in those teeth because they're fresh they're new. Like I want to gnaw on something. So the only part of this movie that I kind of fell off a little bit, which is so weird because I climax of the movie was so into it, and I even believed the I even believed Susan going into the house. She was supposed to leave with her mother. Yep. She goes to check it out. And not even to go into it, just to just to drive by, well, just she to also, like, yeah, just to like confirm the evil, to get that feeling for herself before she uproots her mom and leaves town. Because it's also just been a lot of not speculation, but she's heard a lot of people telling her, people she trusts telling her uh, what is happening. She hasn't really seen it with her own eyes yet. Yeah, and she just wants to experience the evil firsthand, just to kind of like go to the place and and look it in the eye witness it and she's not even on the property when she sees mark run in with with this what 14 year old kid with a bunch of wooden stakes yeah and so she goes in after him and it's so believable that she's there mm-hmm. so few times are 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 they able to tie it up at the end and get all of your players like the girlfriend in peril and ben's gotta come save the day yeah he and doesn't it, know she's there first no. yeah like they're they're all converging on it for their own reasons and like that's how you fucking do it it's so good gotta stop and get holy water first oh man blah 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 blah, blah. We, they established that that bottle breaks super easily and then like cut to Two years Two later. Two years later. We have like, technology has files. not updated. Yeah. Oh, man. It's the 70s. Plastics existed. Shampoo bottles. Yeah. yeah spritzer. Empty. Oh, yeah. Just empty Windex? Just like down, boy. Yeah, down. exactly. You get a little bit of distance, right? Yeah. This is you the way to do it. You can set that on jet. Yeah. Get a super soaker. I mean, not that, you know, come on. It's, it's bordello of blood. I'm not the first person to come From up with this idea. From dust till dawn. That's true, too. Yeah. And they had crossbows. And... 
shotgun crucifixes. Oh, love a good, love a good shotgun crucifix. <laughs> but yeah, so the only the only thing about Salem's Lot that kind of lost me at the end. I see him coming back around. Good coming idea. back around. Liked liked the finale action bit at the house. It's great. I loved Straker impaling that guy on oh, all yeah. of those deer head thingies that were floating around the house because you're like why are these here and then that happens you're like uh, i get it makes sense this is your security Wonderful. system okay. great decor also has use Sick yeah home security it's it's all of those moments when you have no electricity <laughs> just put sharp objects on the wall so just in case you need to carry and impale someone uh who's broken and entered i love that he doesn't even try and decorate like the foyer so that way if somebody comes and he has to answer the door there's no ruse once you're inside no. it is it is a dirty shit show in there i'm surprised that 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 staircase isn't falling apart. Uh, but it's all of those scenes where we see that he's got like superhuman strength that gives him some credibility when he's being shot 17 times, by and the way. And he can walk all the way downstairs. Yeah. Huge waste of bullets, though. Like, I didn't think he was going to die. Neither did I. But by the time I saw him carry that guy, I was like, is he like a day vampire? Yeah. Is he a day walker? Is he one of them Does blades? Does he have crazy abilities? Yeah. He's got all their powers, none but of their weaknesses. But he was just a man. Yep. Just a, just a crazy hellbent man. Like, do you think he was he uh, he was on that that like Lance Armstrong diet where he was get, getting his own white blood cells fed back into him by Barlow? Like, do you think Barlow was doing something to help keep oh, him going? Oh, like he was giving him the backwash or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so in the end, there's they they kill Barlow. It takes a, it takes quite a lot of hammer hits to the to the yeah. stake in the chest, and, and then he melts. Oh, it's good. Which is wonderful. They get him in his coffin. It's great. It's it's the confrontation that we all wanted. Um, Barlow awakening in his eyes and his screech. All great. Um, none of the vampires disappear, which, you know, I thought would happen. Made for a great fucking scene. I thought scene we would all go back to normal. from the darkness, though, yes, right? Yes, that was wonderful, too. But then we learn that... Susan is just MIA. So yeah, and we, they we burn know that, the house down. Yeah, we know that he's she's been taken by Straker and kidnapped. Where? But where? In the house we're lighting off. We fire? get we get nothing else. Yeah, as they're leaving. Sorry, Susan. Burn, burn everything down. Like that's all we got. That's all we got about where she was, what she was up to, what her fate had been. It was just sorry, Susan. Yeah, and. Okay, fine. Different priorities. You want to vanquish the evil. You want to burn as many vampires as possible. I get it. This guy would totally put a train. He would kill as many people as he needed to within that like philosophical train scenario to save anybody else. Like to save Susan. Well, apparently not. They spent so many nights by the lake. They it was true love. <laughs> Uh, and then we flash forward to two years later, which I didn't think was really necessary. Yeah. And I didn't really feel it, because then, nah. then the two of them became vampire hunters. Like, I like and, like, the, that's all well and good. I like the idea that these vampires are hunting them specifically. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Cool. A little weird. And then Susan's <laughs> in New Mexico or whatever. That's because they found out where they were, which is, you know, oh, the... the, the 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 um the holy water's glowing. They figured out where we are. When was that established? Like the tell- beginning of the huh? movie, but it yeah. was also the same timeline as the end of the I, movie. I needed some sort of explanation on that. I needed like the end of the movie where they finally get holy water and they go to the house and like maybe it glows blue, like, oh, this must mean they're close or something. I don't know. And then confirmed again at the end of the movie. It glows. Oh, they must be close by. Yeah. I love the idea that they sent Susan. Like it's it perfectly plays into their MO. They send whoever you are most powerless against. Mm-hmm. And like for a minute you think he's going in. 
Like you think you think he's gonna let her bite him. Well, because... and she she's fully selling vampirism. Yeah, him. she's like we'll be together forever. Yeah, like you and me, and nothing else. Like I I almost I'll date yeah. you, Susan. When I saw that steak come up, I was like, oh no, Ben, no! She gave you such a good opportunity. She's so here. pretty as a vampire. You were really gonna give up this for Mark? Come on, your books aren't that good. <laughs> And, you know, I really needed that final confrontation with Susan because we know she'd been turned into a vampire. Oh, yeah. You just know it. Oh, And yeah. I really needed it. And then when we just left that wonderful, haunted, spooky vampire house, I was like, what are we doing? Susan! Susan, no! We could have had that scene in that house. In the house. Yeah. Yeah, where they kill Barlow and then they think it's over and then they have that confrontation with, oh, no, we're too late. Susan's already been turned. Yeah. We could have done it all there. Yep. We could still have the vampires, like, as he kills her, the vampires, like, force them out of some weird spot. They got to burn the place down. And then they still have that conversation about how we're on the run. They're going to come for us, no matter how far we go, as we drive off into the fucking sunset. Sunrise! <laughs> yeah, even yeah. better. Well, because that whole, as soon as we flashed the two years forward thing, and they were they were doing their whole, oh, this is magical water talk, I was really, I felt really robbed. I was like, okay, well, I need my fucking confrontation, and we're getting ready to credit, so, like, let's Clocks hurry ticking, this up. Yeah, yeah like... What are, you, what are we doing here? Where's Susan? What you got? It. I demand it. And then it was there and it was good. But why in New Mexico? Uh, I don't know. I, I got really mad at the end, especially because I was I was so on board with this movie at that point. Hell yeah. And I loved it. And I was mm. like, this is my new favorite movie of the year. This yep. is my greatest find of the year. And then where the fuck is Susan? I almost had to tweet about it. I'm with you, though. Like, the movie almost completely lost me at that point. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it's it's nuts because it was just like, oh, level 10, level 10, level 10. Whoa, level 1, what happened? Where are we going? Where are we going, What's guys? What's happening? What, we're, on, we're on bad ice. We took a left turn, and I don't like it. P.S. Why can't that guy figure out his fucking Jeep door? <laughs> like, I swear, that's like a I whole side story. And he drove over the curb so many times. <laughs> Every time he stopped somewhere, like, so many so, times. Uh, so, Toby, I'm thinking when I come up. I'm just always to, like, in a rush. I'm going to hit that curb. I'm in t- I'm always in a rush. I always got places to be. I'm I'm it just doesn't matter. And like as my character develops, like the further onto the curb is like the further he's dipping into insanity. Like he's really losing it. And like by the time we get to the end of the movie, I'm like right on the sidewalk and he's like, Yeah, yeah, it's just groovy, man, whatever. Like, <laughs> just hear your mark when you get out of the car. <laughs> Yeah, just hit your fucking mark, close that door. <laughs> They're driving off. He's trying to slam this door that just doesn't work. Oh, it's great. They had to have shot the end of this movie first because in the beginning of the movie, he knows how to use that cheap door. He he opens the door for Susan. He lets her in. He latches yeah, the door. Yeah, but he's early in the relationship. It's the it's the equivalent of like letting the fear gut out. Oh, okay. He's good with the door because he's trying to impress the lady. Of course, but then yeah. Then but he, he, gets, he gets to see what it's all like. And he's yep. got old dishes on his coffee table. Yep. And- <laughs> this is how he wasn't able to keep her. This is why. And also vampires. Yeah. Wow, what a nice surprise. This I, was a great fucking movie. Is this my favorite miniseries of Stephen King? Well, it's, you got it up against It. Oh. And I think we can decide it right now. What did now. I give It? You gave It. I don't even remember. You gave It a three. I blacked out. Yep. And now. It's like I watched Salem's Lot and nothing else mattered. In, Why didn't you guys true, make me though. watch this sooner? Yeah, I mean, hey, people have been saying, like, Salem's Lot, Salem's Lot for a long time. I, I finally know. understand the obsession. Uh, 6.8 on IMDb and a 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. And Ooh, what did it, it have? It down I'm pretty sure Letterboxd. it had, like, similar ratings, 45% if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I don't. But in true head to head fashion, and we very, very rarely stick to those terms head to head, battling it out, who's our winner, Kim? What's okay. your rating? 
for Salem's Lot. I do have a follow-up question for you, though, when we finish. Sure. Okay. When we're done. You don't want it right now. W- no, we'll do we'll do ratings now. I'm going to go 3.5 out of 4. I'm also giving this a 3.5 out of 4. If it wasn't for that weird slip-up at the end. It was a 4 out of 4. 4 out of 4. Yeah. Oh, 4 out of 4. Yeah. I, I loved every loved second of this it. movie. Except for wonderful. a few seconds at the end. Yeah. It was incredible. Such a nice surprise. Oh. Sometimes it's great to find older movies that you love now because... I could watch this four more times this year. Absolutely. I mean, we our rental is expired, so we're going to have to try coming. to find it. <laughs> I, need, I need to find a VHS copy. I think it's on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure Scream Factory put it I out. I just said, I need to find a VHS copy. Okay. All right. As long as it's a double VHS. I'm not doing this single yeah, it's fucking fine. We'll do double. one VHS for a three and a half hour movie. Bullshit, guys. It's fine. So what's your question? My question is, they're remaking this movie. Okay. Who is Barlow? And who is Straker? Who would you cast? Okay. Um, I think it might be fun to get the same person to Ooh. do both roles. And I'm thinking... That's interesting. Doug Jones. So, uh, <laughs> Barlow, I have Doug Jones. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, Straker. Oh. What about John Cleese? John Cleese would be cool. Maybe a little too comedic. Maybe it's time. You know who? You know what? Uh, what about Javier Botet? For Barlow? Any of them. I don't really give a shit. Who could play a good antique man and also be intimidating? Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to stick with Doug Jones. Doug Jones in both roles. That would be I interesting. Think, I think we could age Doug Jones up a little bit. On the yeah. other on the other hand, could be a younger guy. I don't know. I just want that, like, that witty Britishism. I need that. Okay. Michael Caine. I was going to say Michael Caine. Yeah. <laughs> Spook. He had a he had a he had a string of horrors. I mean, Dress to Kill's kind of kind of a thriller. Didn't we see that at the thrift store today? Dress to Kill? I don't think so. But uh, I do own it on VHS. Oh, so we already have it. I guess Salem's Lot won. Fuck yeah, it won. Wow. That was that was a fun episode. You know, it it was really hard for us to watch this much content to record, but yep. fuck what a what a fun throwback that yeah, was! This because is, this normally we don't get the time to watch miniseries. Like it's just not. Maybe that's pro- also probably why we haven't. Because any opportunity we've had, it's like oh, four and four hours. Uh, I can't do it. And we got to watch stuff for the podcast. So, um, wow, Stephen King month! What a month it has been. It has been a month. Uh, let us know what you've been watching to celebrate it. Chapter two coming. What you've been what you've been rewatching to get in the Stephen King vibe, um, because it's coming. It is coming. <laughs> We're going to stick around for a few more minutes and play a game that Kim's put together. Uh, do you have a name for it? Yes, it's called Write What You Know. Okay. Uh, you want to give me a hint about what that might be? Uh, sometimes authors write about what they know. Oh, so this is... <laughs> okay, so this is about Steve. every time Stephen King has written either himself into his books or has made one of his characters a writer. Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Okay, I'm going to destroy quiz. this game. I'm going to kill this quiz. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, you can get that game over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street in exchange for supporting the show. Uh, everything we do here is listener and fiend supported all the money goes to our bandwidth our hosting our giveaways travel expenses everything we do that involves growing nightmare and getting you new fresh and terrifying content and we couldn't do it without our patreon supporters so thank you to our existing supporters thank you to those of you who go and join us and as always you can support the show for free uh, by recommending it to a friend by giving us a five-star rating and review wherever you're getting this podcast help us grow the horde and get the show in front of more fiends 
Follow us on Twitter at NOFS Podcast. Subscribe to the Nightmare on Film Street subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Nightmare on Film Street. And of course, why not Why not hang out with the cool creeps in the Horror Movie Fiend Club at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. But that's it from us this week. We will be back at you two Thursdays from now with another full-length episode. But until then, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N-O-F-S podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. <laughs>